Okay, so we, we ended in Acts 22, and as is our practice here, wherever we end, we pick up the next uh, time we're in the study in that scripture. So uh, Paul in Acts 22 was not only, he said that he's not only uh, ready to be chained uh, for Christ, but to die for Christ. You know, when, when there were, uh, was the demonstration from Agabus when he came and he showed and he said that the man that this belt belongs to will be bound like this. And, and uh, Paul knew that God had called him uh, to, uh, to stand in front of rulers and leaders and, and, and God was preparing him. And if you remember in, in Acts chapter 18, uh, Jesus uh, spoke to Paul and told him, don't be afraid to minister here. I have many in this, this city. There were times that, that Paul probably needed uh, the reminder that Jesus was with him and that he was, as he's following God, God was going to use him and, and um, mightily and uh, help him to stand boldly, even though he probably had those natural fears that, that we might have and even doubts. Uh, but the Lord was sure to minister to him. Paul was a good leader, and he would calm those. Remember, everybody was crying around him, and he's going, guys, what are you doing? You're breaking my heart. And that's when he tells them, I'm not only ready to be chained for Christ, I'm ready to lay my life down for Christ. That he was serious about his relationship with Christ. And he knew that that the, the his past life of being a persecutor of the church and standing there while everybody's you know holding everybody's coats as they stoned Stephen to death in Acts chapter 7. He knew the great sin that he had committed against the Lord and causing people to blaspheme and throwing the church in prison. And he knew that he had to suffer many things, right? Ananias was given the message to go share uh, with him, and, and no doubt in conversation, uh, as Ananias was there to encourage Paul and to pray for him, uh, that he said, hey, by the way, God gave me a message about you. I should probably share that. So Paul wasn't, uh, wasn't intimidated uh, to lay down his life. Uh, he, was, he was ready to go. Now, uh, as we in our last study got to, he had agreed to take a vow with others to, as, a, as a public way of showing that he wasn't an enemy of the Jews and that uh, he was ready to take uh, those brothers in and uh, in, into um, the, the temple. And, and so as he uh, did so, he was uh, as he was coming out, there were some uh, people from some Jews from Ephesus that knew who Paul was and uh, they started bringing negative attention to him. Um, and and uh, so there's there's a mob that's that's angry at him and they, they want to kill Paul. They want to take him out. They just they are already beating him up. They beat him up so good that when the Romans finally got there, when there was an uprise, the Romans came and uh, as they're uh, delivering him, he couldn't walk up the steps. Uh, he had to be carried up the steps. And once he gets to the steps, he speaks to uh, the commander there, and, and he asks permission to speak to the Jews. And, and the Jews uh, were ready to listen when they heard him speaking in their language. And uh, Paul goes and he tells of uh, his conversion and uh, when of who he was and who he is now. And everybody's listening intently, so much so that it says uh, that it was quiet at one point, and it was all the more quiet. It was a pin drop moment. Uh, right out in the in the open, and everybody's standing there, and Paul's able to uh, to share with them what God had done in his life, and they called him to be a preacher. And uh, he's got everybody's attention until he says that he was sent to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish crowd, uh, to proclaim the gospel, and that's when they lose their mind, and uh, they get to a point where they're trying to to, to kill him and everything, and uh, so the uh, the um, this commander takes Paul and and uh, 
They were going to bring him in and scourge him. They were going to whip Paul until they got the confession that they wanted. And then Paul has some news for him that he's a Roman citizen. And they're going, wait a minute, we've we've enchained him and we were about to scourge him. And, and doing so, they would have their own penalty to pay based on Roman law. So they're all getting scared and they're backing up like, hey, we didn't do it. You didn't see my face, right? You know, they, they wanted to remove themselves from the situation. So this uh, this Roman commander got to a point where he says, we, we need to figure this out. We need to take another um another uh, avenue here to figure out what's going on here. Because as a Roman, we can't uh, punish this man. We can't even uh, incarcerate him or, uh, or, or scourge him without uh, him being properly tried. So, so there's a little bit of backtracking and we'll get into 30 before we move into Acts uh, 23, verse 30 of 22. But in chapter 23, we're going to see Paul facing uh, three confrontations, the Jewish council, uh, and that will be uh, here. We'll see it described here in verse 30 all the way to verse 10. Uh, and then Paul will be uh, meeting with Jesus Christ, who's going to come uh, beside him and, and strengthen him for his uh, ministry to continue. And then we're going to see Paul uh, in a confrontation with uh, the Jewish conspirators and, uh, and what he had to do uh, as, as things were um, uh, taking place uh, in his life. So verse 30 of 22, so back up a verse from verse 1 of 23, it says, <coughs> excuse me, the next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, this is the commander, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So the commander wanted to know for certain because Paul was a Roman citizen and, and uh, he wanted to make sure that they were doing things right, as we excuse me, just discussed, uh, what we can gather here is it seems that this man understands the way that things are supposed to go. He might even be a fair man, but he's diligent about his position and what he's supposed to do. So Paul is brought before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, in, in front of the council, and the commander couldn't determine, so he brings him to his own people. And he calls the Sanhedrin into a special uh, session, and their job, the, the uh, Sanhedrin's job, is uh, to interpret and apply Jewish law uh, to the affairs of the nation. So, so that's where we're picking up here in verse 1 of 23. It says, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. So here is Paul before the religious leaders, the Supreme Court of ancient uh, Israel. And uh, he is looking at them earnestly. He's fixing his eyes upon this, this religious group. And he says, men, <coughs> excuse me, men and brethren. And it might have been the cause for him to be punched in the mouth or the order to at least be given. We don't know for sure if he actually was or not. The order was given. We don't. It doesn't say that the person went, walked over and actually punched him. So we don't know for sure if it actually happened, uh, but we'll get into that here in just a few moments. But uh, uh, it, it might have been uh, that, that uh, he believed that he was, uh, that the, the crowd thought or the high priest thought that he was making himself equal to them by saying men and brethren. You know, rather than, you know, uh, addressing them uh, as higher than himself when he says men and brethren, who we, that's what he would do in a normal circumstance rather than addressing, you know, your, your excellency or, or whatever it could have been. Um, 
It might have just been setting the tone. They may have said, heard enough about what Paul uh, had said and, and what Paul had been doing that they just didn't want to hear uh, anything Paul had to say. So when he opened his mouth, they just wanted to hit him in the mouth. We don't know for sure. But we do know that Paul declares his innocence to the council. And uh, he's declaring that he lived uh, in uh, good conscience as a Jew and he had not broken the law. And uh, what he's saying is that his conscience didn't condemn him, uh, but the Jews did. So that word conscience uh, is used twice here in Acts, and Paul uses it 21 times in his letters. Uh, so it's it's uh, something important to Paul, and, and the Holy Spirit ensured that we would uh, see the word uh, many times. So that Greek word, sunidesis, uh, is used, uh, like I said, two times here and 25, sorry, 21 times in his letters. And to understand our conscience, it's our inner judge or, or witness, and it applies standards to our lives. So uh, when we, uh, they don't set the standard, but, the, but it applies the standards to our lives. So uh, we're going to consider a few uh, scriptures regarding a conscience. Romans 2, verses 14 and 15 says, For when the Gentiles, this is Paul writing, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So when Paul says in his own conscience, he's saying, look, uh, you know, I've, I've lived, uh, basically, you know, if, if you're here to, to uh, convict me of a sin, ba basically we could look at it and Paul saying, what do you got? You know, he says, I, I've lived in good conscience all my life, is, is how he's describing these things. Warren Wearsby said, said uh, this that I, I figured was, was worth sharing. He says, conscience may be compared to a window that lets in the light. God's law is the light, and the cleaner the window is, the more the light shines in. I like, I like that, uh, that explanation. Conscience may be compared to the window that lets in the light. God's law is the light, and the cleaner the window is, the more the light shines in. So speaking of conscience, good conscience lets the light in, right? If we're looking at what Wearsby had to say, he was a Bible scholar uh, for, for many years. I honestly don't know if Warren Wearsby's still alive, so forgive me on that, but I love his stuff. He's not. Okay, <laughs> getting the heads up. No, Warren, Warren is not alive. First Timothy 3 uh, verse 9 says, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. So uh, with a good conscience, it will let the light in, right? First Timothy 3, 9, like I just said, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Conscience could also be defiled. You know, it's sinned against it so much that it's no longer dependable. First Corinthians 8, verse 7 says, however, there is not in uh, anyone that knowledge for some, with conscience of the idol, until now, uh, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, uh, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. First Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2 say, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. We see that our conscience can actually be uh, something uh, that can be defiled, that can, uh, just as that window that was described there, can be clouded, can be dirty. 
right? That, that we no longer listen to our conscience. And we see that in, in uh, a life that's not submitted to Christ, right? That, that constant rejection of the word, that it gets to a point of, oh, if I'm not going to uh, you know, walk in the, the word, then uh, I can get to a point where uh, I'm no longer following my conscience, and I'm just doing uh, the things that I want to do. And it, and it brings us to a, a point of, uh, of um, sinfulness. Our conscience can be cleansed. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That our, that our conscience can actually be sprinkled. From, a, from being evil, that it can be changed, that God can actually wash our conscience. You know, that, that means that when we get to that point of depravity in our lives, we don't have to live there. That, that somebody, when they come to confession uh, of their sin and they, they decide they're going to repent and turn from their sin, that Christ can then wash their conscience and change their mind, right? The renewing of the mind that happens from a relationship with Christ. And as we're spending time in his word, the renewing that happens. So it's not a prideful statement that Paul is making here. Uh, and uh, when we consider one more thing Paul uh, wrote in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 4, he says, For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. When he has a relationship with the one who does justify him. Paul saying, I don't stand justified in, by my own works. And, and the fact that, you, that, that it, what Paul is saying here is that uh, yeah, I am not justified by this, where he says, I know of nothing against myself. He's not saying, hey, I'm perfect, and because I'm perfect, I don't need Christ. Now, Paul identified himself as, as a greater sinner than ever, anybody else. What he's saying is his justification is in Christ. And in Christ, he can stand uh, because of Christ's sinlessness. Verse 3. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? So the, the order was given that he was supposed to, uh, that uh, from the high priest, to strike uh, Paul in the mouth. And what we see in Paul's response is, God strike you, you hypocrite. You know, And, and so we're going to look into this. Casey, would you mind, uh, I think it's getting a little bit warm in here. Would you uh, take care of that? I could do it on here, but I, I Will could do this while he's talking. I can't do that, right? So um, uh, Casey, I'll ask Casey just to, I had turned the heat on a little bit, uh, and uh, it's, uh, I'm seeing some people that I think are a little bit warm. We don't have to blast it, Casey, just a, just a little bit of AC going, I think. <laughs> She's like, I was comfortable. So, so uh, I, I'm going to read this again. Then Paul said to him, God strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit and judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? So Paul's a feisty guy. Paul knew that he had chains uh, that were awaiting him in tribulation, but he could still defend himself. And what he says here, that whitewashed wall, uh, Paul was saying uh, he's, he's describing a, a wall that could be washed white, but there's still corruption on the other side of it, right? You probably remember when Jesus said in Matthew 23, uh, I, say, I say that, I've got my guy that puts the scriptures up there. Uh, he'll put it up there after um, uh, but uh, Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
for you are like whitewashed tombs, which uh, uh, indeed uh, appear uh, beautiful, uh, beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you are outwardly, uh, you outwardly uh, appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You know, so the outside can look great, corrupt, uh, corruption and rot within. Uh, so Paul is, is telling him, he's calling him a hypocrite. He's saying, you know, you, you sit there and judge me according to the law, but you're actually breaking the law and telling somebody to do that. Uh, according to Jewish law, he who strikes the cheek of one Israelite strikes, as it were, uh, the glory of God. Also another law said, uh, he that strikes a man strikes the Holy One. So Paul is holding him accountable, saying, you can't do that. You can't tell me to be punched in the mouth. And, and he, he, he does this in, in quite a confrontational way. You know, you know, God strike you, you whitewashed wall. I mean, Paul's not trying to make friends as he's saying those things. Paul is, is correcting this man who he doesn't know is the high priest. We'll see that here in just a moment. But the, the, uh, that saying similar to what Jesus said to the Jewish leaders, Paul was ready to pull that right out. Like the corruption that's in your life, you can you can have that outward, you know, shiny polished veneer. You can you can have that that whitewashed look to you, but it, but internally there's corruption, right? And and that should be a lesson to any of us, right? Uh, it's it's very easy sometimes we could we could be living a life uh, full of hell outside, and we come here and we put on our biggest smile and and uh, change the vocabulary and and to be in church if we're if we're sitting in a, a backslidden state. That we can say one thing and and uh, and live like complete hell outside, and then come in here and and and, and have that polished look on us. Uh, but internally, there's the corruption. We're not we're we're called to forsake that type of hypocrisy in our own lives, right? Because what are we doing? Who who are we kidding, right? God knows. You know, it, there's the there's the uh, um, you know when uh, Samuel said that, that God looks on the outside, man looks on the inside. Right. God, God, no, sorry. God looks on the, uh, you guys know what I mean, right? God looks on the inside. Man looks on the outside, right? <clears throat> Maybe I need some more coffee. I only had, you know, but I don't know what it was. Right. So that, that God is concerned with our innermost being, you know, we can get fired up with, uh, with so many of the dumbest things of, of what's going on externally in life. Right. We can get on, we can identify ourselves based on, uh, you know, what's going on. Oh, okay, so I'm going to dress up at church. Nobody will know that I'm living like complete hell outside as long as I look good in church, right? That's a, that's a hypocrisy uh, that's, uh, that's, you know, we're, we're told in the Scripture to forsake. We're not supposed to live in that type of hypocrisy. We're supposed to live in, in pureness of heart. What did, what did God's Word say? Be holy, for I am holy. He doesn't say dress, dress awesome, right? It's the internal part that God is, is worried about. You know, so if we have church, I mean, guys, I'm in a pair of jeans. I'll, I'll, I'll confess I wore them yesterday too, right? <laughs> so, right, I'm in, I'm in jeans and I got, t I got shoes on and I got a button-up flannel shirt, a black T-shirt. Not up here to impress anybody, clearly. Right, I mean, I could come here looking all great, hair slicked back. I don't know if I could look, I, I could try to, right? Right. <laughs> But but I, I you know I could have everything and you know I could have shine on my face and and all these things and I don't know what makes people shine but yeah they could there's makeup I guess that would do that right I could try to impress people but if I'm just a whitewashed wall and there's corruption in my heart you guys are gonna see that really fast 
right? That, that should be, it's going to be evident in, in the way I conduct myself. And Paul was calling out the hypocrisy instantly on this guy. Oh, you want to punch me in the mouth? You're fake and you're, you're a hypocrite is what he's saying. You know, there, there is corruption within you. You may look good on the outside, um, but, uh, but there's a, uh, there's a hypocrisy within you. Verse four, and those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know brethren that he was the high priest for it is written. You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So Paul's not an anarchist. You know, Paul, Paul is, is, uh, uh he believed in, in the establishment and ruler of uh, rulers and government. Uh, maybe Paul didn't know uh, that this was a high priest because uh, he may not have had his high priestly garb on. This was a quick meeting called uh, by uh, the Roman commander, and it might have been like, "Hey, grab your sandals and let's go." Uh, who knows? We don't we don't know for sure. But uh, them him being brought there, uh, there was something about him that Paul didn't understand that he was the high priest. So uh, there there's also the the mindset that of. of I've heard or read that says that Paul might have even been a little bit sarcastic there because of the way the guy was conducting himself. I, I don't know that I would go along with that, but uh, you know, I guess it's a possibility. Uh, Paul had been away for a long time. Maybe he wasn't familiar. Uh, whatever it was, we know that Paul would have at least had respect for the position, maybe not the man. Uh, regardless of it. So, uh, you know, Paul says right here, hey, look, guys, I, I didn't, had I known, I wouldn't have said that because, and then he gives him the Bible study, right? Gives him a, a verse right there. You should not speak evil of a rule over people, which is pretty crazy because if you think of the timing in this church that we've seen, guys, we just studied that, that actual verse on Wednesday. Our next Bible study, we find our, and that wasn't like I sat there with my protractor and making up a, you know, a thing here. This is the protractor that has the circle there and or the compass, right? The little, yeah, yeah. Like you guys know, I did not pay attention in school. I was an awful student. But, uh, but Paul wasn't sitting there formulating a plan. It wasn't sitting that that. Uh, sorry, I wasn't. I wasn't sitting here going, okay, we're, I'm going to say this and these two things. Are, we've seen God bring things together here, and we when our last time together when we study that verse, and here we are, and uh, we land on it right here. Uh, Exodus 22 verse 8 says, "You shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people." Paul's referencing that in what he's saying here. So crazy timing, that's the Holy Spirit at work. So Paul was a Pharisee, and he wouldn't have knowingly disrespected the high priest. He was a man under authority and a man that respected authority. So uh, Paul's not just going to go in there and, and, and just do these things uh, flippantly. Paul also instructed Timothy regarding authority. And uh, 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4 says, Therefore I exhort... First of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead quiet and peaceable, a, a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the, in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He says that, that prayers should be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. They're in authority. Prayers were to be made for them. Paul was a man under authority, understood it, and would place himself under that authority. Verse 6, but when Paul perceived that one part were Sadduce Sadducees and the other uh, Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. So uh, this is pretty clever here. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. 
For Sadducees said that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a large, a, a, a loud outcry, and the scribes and fair, uh, of the Pharisees' uh, party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. So uh, pretty per uh, perceptive of Paul. It's not that he wasn't aware before. He knew religious leaders and he understood uh, the crowd it was, but it's more like it dawned on him. And, uh, you know, he uh, had divided the audience pretty quickly. Here they are ga gathered against Paul and Paul being very uh, insightful and, and clever. Uh, he knew that they were divided in their doctrine, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And uh, so he knew his audience and where they were divided. So he, he identifies himself uh, as a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. So the, regarding the Pharisees and Sadducees, both of them honored Moses and his law. Both uh, had political power. The differences are here. The Sadducees followed a liberal interpretation in the text of the scriptures and didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, as it said here, as it said in Mark uh, chapter 12 and in Matthew 22. And they didn't believe in an afterlife or the spiritual things. The Pharisees gave equal authority and, uh, to tradition and the written word. So the Sadducees followed the literal interpretation of the scriptures, and the, the Pharisees gave equal authority to tradition and the written word of God. So they uh, believe in the afterlife and rewards and punishment from God and believed in angels and demons. So uh, Paul uh, knew what each of them believed, and he uh, stated here that uh, his faith and, and hope and resurrection of the dead was the reason why he was being judged. And immediately there became an outcry of defense uh, from the Pharisees, and, uh, and the, these guys even come to the point, they're like, so we can't fight against God. So where, where he's seeing, and he's he stated uh, that fact, and he understands that the Pharisees believe this, and the Sadducees believe this. He says something that goes and, and divides them right in half. And they, they get to a point of great dissension here. Let's look at verse 10. It says, Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul uh, might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. The commander is responsible for Paul's safety, and he says, Go take him by force. So especially the fact that he's a Roman citizen, uh, and if he were to be killed by the mob, then he was responsible, the commander. So uh, he took uh, Paul out of the situation by force. Now, uh, now this, this crowd uh, was easily divided. Paul just had to say one thing, and, and that crowd was easily divided. Uh, it, it makes me think of our nation. Our nation, man, even within the church, man, you can say one word. And, and people are going to be easily divided because of their their uh, uh, their association or their love for one thing, right? Or one person, their association with one person. Let's look at political leaders, right? <laughs> you can say one name or say the other, and and oftentimes uh, there, especially in a workplace or in a school, there's division instantly. There's these people, they're, you know, got conservatives, you got the liberals, or you say this and that, and, and things just get out of hand quickly. It's the same thing happening here, 
right? The church should be united in Christ. The church shouldn't be able to be divided about things. We should be able to come to a commonality in peace and in, in uh, based on what the Word of God says. That should be what our, our authority is. If we get to a point where our opinion is coming in and, and then we start following our opinions, that's where the division comes, right? Now, if I sit here and I say, well, if you vote for this guy, you don't even talk to me because I voted for this guy, right? It's, it's, it's a way of trying to control. You know, that's, uh, you know God is calling us uh, to unity in the body of Christ. But we see these guys divided instantly. All Paul had to do was bring up the resurrection of the dead and it just, you know, there's a great dissension that's happening here. And the Pharisees are like, nope, this guy hasn't done anything wrong. Uh, we can't fight against God. So Paul is removed from this situation by the commander. And he's brought back to the barracks. And this is a, quite a thing because it's only one verse. And this is... Uh, recording another encounter that Paul has. We had an encounter with, with Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And uh, we see that in Acts chapter 18, he was encouraged by Christ uh, that, hey, in this city, I've got a lot of people here. Uh, you know, you don't have to worry about anything here. And then we see Jesus visiting here in verse 11 says, But the following night, the Lord stood by him, and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, you must also bear witness of me, uh, bear witness uh, at Rome. So a visit from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's in front of uh, this council. He's in front of this uh, military commander that wanted to scourge him. He's in front of very powerful people. None of them are even uh, even uh, come close to having and possessing the power of the creator of, of all the universe. And when Jesus Christ comes down and meets with him, and it, it says here that, uh, that he stood by him, that Christ would visit him and, and strengthen Paul in this point. What the, the uh, implication that we can probably, uh, you know, come to and, and, and understand uh, here is that, uh, that Paul needed the encouragement. He needed, he needed to hear from the Lord. No greater encouragement than for uh, God the Son to come. And he tells him, be of good cheer. He doesn't say, hey, be cheerful. You know, keep your head up, kiddo. You know, he doesn't do anything like that. But he says, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer, Paul. Be of good cheer. And he doesn't say Saul. He doesn't say Saul. How he was known, right? He calls him by his new name. Very personal message for him. There's a lot of chaos around Paul and it must have been, you know, something that, you know, he just he didn't know what was going to happen. He had peace in knowing that that in God's hand he was okay, but man, when you're in that type of chaos that he had been, it were where literally the commander had to go so he didn't get pulled apart physically. I mean, I mean, that's I mean, he's probably still sore, right? Uh, cuz they're saying we're taking him. No, we're taking him. Who who knows? We don't we don't know. But they like they went down there by force and took Paul out. And he had already been beat up before. And Paul had, had faced some pretty crazy things uh, and uh, where, where Christ is there visiting him. You know, he might have been discouraged and Jesus visits him and stands by him. You know, that's a great contrast from their first recorded meeting, right? Before, you know, he was met by the blinding light and that, that voice that spoke to him and overwhelmed him and he couldn't see for days. You know, here he is now uh, as he's walking uh, 
with the Lord and the Lord standing by him. And uh, the Lord is showing him that uh, that he's there with him and, and he's greatly encouraging Paul. And the Lord said, for as you have done in Jerusalem, you uh, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Again, uh, when we see uh, in Acts chapter 9 that he was a chosen vessel to bear uh, Christ's name before the Gentiles, kings in Israel, we're watching this starting to unfold in Paul's life. That none of this was outside of God's control. And the Lord is just saying to him, you know, be of good cheer because we're going to keep going, Paul. You know, this isn't it. We're going to keep going. I've still got more for you to do. What an encouragement for him. Yeah, that's a that's a, a tough a tough position for Paul to be in. No doubt an easy one to get overwhelmed in. And the Lord knew he needed to visit Paul, and he did. Take take courage in that, brothers and sisters, that if we're serving the Lord and we're walking and maybe there's a point of discouragement and there's opposition and then there's things going on, but you know for a fact that you're doing what God has called you to do, keep going. Understanding that if he's laid it on our hearts and he's shown us in our life what our, our call is to just keep going. Not to be discouraged based on the lack of response or, or it could be a negative response. Don't let those things discourage us. Let God and his call on our life and the Holy Spirit's leading in our life be the thing that, that determines whether we continue or not. But not our circumstances. We follow as God leads. Verse 12. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they uh, had killed Paul. Now, uh, there were more than 40, uh, 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, uh, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will, uh, that we will uh, eat nothing until we uh, have killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to, uh, to you tomorrow uh, as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him, but we are ready to kill him before he comes. So here's some very serious opposition. They had taken a vow uh, to, to not eat or drink anything until uh, Paul was dead. So these vows, they had bound themselves and they were to be taken very seriously. These people... Um, well, uh, when we consider them, they made this bold declaration. We're not eating or drinking until Paul's dead. Well, spoiler alert for them, right? Uh, you know, they either starved to death or they broke their vow, right? Because they didn't get to kill Paul. So wh what did they do then? Because now they've made a vow. You made the vow. What are you going to do, right? You know, here's a good apple. You want a bite of this? You know, who knows? But, uh, but uh, essentially, uh, they got to a point where uh, they either need to break the vow or die of starvation or dehydration. I'm guessing they broke the vow and tucked their tails between their legs. And, oh, yeah, we didn't really mean really kill him. We just really wanted to, whatever it is. But uh, so uh, when we consider vows, just understand, uh, you know, that um, – the way this world is, is you need to swear. You need to swear that you're being serious in what you're saying. Jesus said, let our yes be yes and our no be no. You know, be men and women of our word. Whatever we say, uh, don't take it lightly. Uh, just be able to say uh, what we mean and mean what we say, right? So uh, here, here we go. Uh, when we're considering all these, here's the goon squad. They've come to uh, the chief priests and the elders. We're going to do this. You know, we said we're not going to eat, we're not going to drink until uh, Paul's dead. And, and then they tell him, hey, we got a good plan. Why don't you ask the commander to bring Paul? And while they're trying to bring Paul, we're just going to kill him. 
So uh, can you go along with this? You know, I think they've got it all figured out uh, and uh, they don't realize uh, a few things here that are going to fall apart. Verse 16. So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, uh, take this young man to the commander for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner, uh, called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, went aside, and asked him and asked privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, and uh, as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 men lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they, may, uh, that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And uh, now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man, man depart and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. So they thought they had the perfect plan figured out. You ever heard the saying, loose lips sink ships? Yeah. Yeah, they had too many people around, right? They, they, and they're like I said, the goon squad. Uh, they, they're not considering everybody that's around, right? They're, they're, they're trusting too many people. The word gets out. Paul's nephew heard about it and went to Paul. Now we don't know how old Paul's nephew is. Some will say that he was old as thirty. I don't think a grown man's going to grab another man by the hand and drag him in. So uh, I, I tend to believe that he's, he's, he's a younger, uh, young man, and. Um, the, uh, so he goes and, and told Paul, and Paul tells the centurion that he needs uh, to listen to, uh, that, that uh, this young man has something that the commander needs to listen to. So the centurion, uh, who, so a centurion somebody who's over 100 people. So uh, this commander is over several hundred uh, men, and uh, the commander uh, takes him by the hand when he's brought there, and they go and talk privately. So the commander hears the plan that 40 men are waiting to kill Paul uh, and uh, he, uh, this, uh, this young man is able to uh, communicate that these guys want to use you as a pawn. So that right there is, uh, is an offense, right? They're, they're, they're saying, hey, we'll, we'll pull one over on the commander. So they've now offended him also. Hey, they're going to use you as a political uh, piece in their in their plan, and they they want to use you to uh, to finish what they uh, they want to do and carry out what they want to do. So uh, after he had informed him, uh, the commander thanks him and, and tells him to tell nobody of uh, of what was happening here. And uh, now um, he's going to have to formulate his own plan. Verse twenty three, and he called. Uh, for two centurions saying, prepare 200 soldiers, uh, 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen uh, to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night and provide mounts uh, to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. So the commander immediately formulates a plan. They've got 40 lying in wait. This guy get, gets up 470 people. Oh, really? <laughs> you think you got it, guys? 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen. He meant business, and he had people at his disposal. I mean, I mean when you could just throw together almost 500 people right then, hey, get these people, and this is what you've got to do here. Go to Caesarea in the third night hour of the night, around 10 o'clock, uh, 9, 10 o'clock, and um, take uh, Paul to Felix the governor. 
Uh, so he's not messing around anymore. They've got a murderous plan. I'm going to get him uh, where I think he needs to go and go to go to Felix. In verse 25, he wrote a letter in the following manner. Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them, coming with the troops. I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. He's leaving out some important details there, isn't he? Something about scourging and taking him into, you know, in chains. But uh, we'll talk about that here in a minute. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him uh, before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews laid in wait for him, I sent immediately uh, him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. So he writes a letter to Felix, and as we talked about, um, he had stretched the truth a little bit, left out some important details regarding almost scourging him, uh, and, uh, and he says that he went in and got uh, Paul. We know that he went and got, got Paul before, uh, and uh, before learning that he was a Roman. He's like, hey, I learned he's a Roman, so I ran in there, and he left out the first part, and then when they're uh, about to, this this next crowd's about to take him, then they go in and they pull him out of there. So conveniently left it out uh, and not uncommon for somebody to avoid accountability or punishment. But uh, he uh, he's, he's writing to uh, the governor. Now Felix himself is a former slave that was promoted by uh, the uh, to governor by Claudius Caesar. And uh, it's known that uh, Felix was a wicked man, a uh, wicked and worldly man. Verse 31, then the soldiers, as they com uh, were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris, we're going to say, uh, to uh, uh, the next day. They left the horsemen to go on with him and return to the barracks. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered him, uh, delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers have, have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. So enemies of the faith uh, and uh, service um, to God, when we're facing those types of things, and we're going to see, uh, you know, here, here are enemies of Paul that had a, uh, a plan of attacking him, and he was taken safely uh, as he's serving God. And um, uh, you know, they were they were enemies uh, that were that were trying in a clever way to kill Paul. And um, and Paul could stand firm in his faith because he had been visited by Christ and told, "Hey, I've still got other plans for you, and I'm not done with you." And and encouraged him. So Paul knew that he could stand firm in his faith as he heard that these guys were going to do this. So he's taken safely uh, down there, and once uh, he gets there, uh, the uh, Felix asks him you know, where he's from, and he finds out, okay, then I'm going to have to deal with this, and, uh, and I'm going to call your accusers and, and bring, them, uh, bring them here so that they might be able to stand and, and share what they were uh, going to do. Now, we are, are at time. I'm just going to read chapter 24. Okay, uh, I told you guys we got a little bit late uh, starting in the study. Still be about an hour in the scripture. 
but I feel like this is a bad place to stop because uh, it's we're, we're leading right up to uh, what is happening here. So we'll, we'll get through Acts 24. Just bear with me and I'll do it as quick as I can uh, and, and efficiently and effective as I can. Now, after five days, Ananias, verse 1 of Acts 24, Ananias, the high priest, came down uh, with the elders and a certain orator, orator named Tertullus. Uh, these uh, uh, these gave evidence to the governor against Paul. So uh, down came the high priests and, and the elders, and they even brought their own guest speaker, uh, and uh, they immediately start buttering up uh, this, this whole process and buttering Felix up, and he lays it on thick. We're going to see here in verse 2. And when he was called upon, Tertullus uh, began his accusation, saying, uh, seeing that... Uh, through you, we enjoy great peace and prosperity and being uh, brought to this uh, nation by your foresight. Uh, we accept it always in all places. Most noble Felix, you see it, right? You just, I mean, that's a lot of butter on this bread, right? And uh, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness, nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy uh, a few words from us. So this ridiculous buttering up, uh, and he says, through you, we have great peace, right? Uh, they knew they'd be crushed if they didn't submit to Rome. It's not like they said, oh, cool, we're so glad you're here, right? But uh, but he's he's a paid actor, right? A paid order. This is what he does. This is his profession. He knows how to, how to address his audience. Uh, and he's lying, acting like they enjoyed the, the Romans ruling over them. And, um, and it, what he does is he's saying that, hey, we're the good guys here. Uh, and uh, he asked for permission to, to share why they're there. Verse 5, For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, a, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Uh, he even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to the law. But the commander, Lysias, came by, uh, came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers, uh, to come uh, to you by examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things which we accuse him of, which we accuse him. So they're they're portraying Paul as a troublemaker, uh, you know, for uh, for them and around the world. And uh, they, you know, what a compliment to Paul's ministry, <laughs> right? Uh, what what a, what an awesome good compliment. And uh, they wanted to judge him, he says, but. Um, they didn't really. They didn't give him a legal trial. They just brought him there and wanted to take him out. They wanted to kill him. They were an angry and, and murderous mob uh, when he's talking about it, that he brought people into the file. No, he didn't. He brought the ones, the, the Jews in there that had taken the vow into the temple. They had come to uh, a conclusion of themselves that they uh, that he had before, uh, but they were just looking for reasons to confront Paul is really what it was. So they com they completely left out the whole ambush thing. You notice that? Uh, so he's he's not uh, bringing out these things, you know. Uh, this guy's a good speaker, and then he even starts to point some blame at um, Lysias, uh, the commander, Claudius Lysias, and he says uh, that he was mean to him, and uh, it was it was his fault that they're there. See for yourself, basically. You know, he's bringing them to that point, right? And the Jews also assented, uh, and uh, verse nine, maintaining that these things were so. So the corrupt hypocrites, is, is essentially these religious leaders, go along with their hired helps, convenient half truths, and they jump on board, uh, and uh, they're they're ready to uh, uh, to uh, you know, yeah, what he said, 
you know, uh, and, and essentially is what they're saying. So uh, verse 10, then Paul, after the governor uh, had nodded to speak with him, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since uh, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And uh, they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone nor inciting the crowd, either in synagogues or in the city, nor can they prove the things which they now of which of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I uh, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. So Paul's saying, they have nothing to accuse me of. Everything's written in the law. Verse 15, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection from the dead, both of, of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience within, uh, without offense toward God and man. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. They ought to uh, have been here before you to object uh, if they had anything against me. Paul's saying, yeah, they can say all these things, but they're not here to object. They should be here or else let those who are uh, here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council, unless it is for uh, this one uh, statement, which I cried standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. But when Felix heard these things, having the more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias, uh, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision for your case. So we see the responses from both. We see the uh, the Jewish leaders that had come there to try to get uh, Felix to come on board, and we saw Paul defending himself in front of them. And Paul's able to say, if they got something against me, what is it? Let them bring it, because all they're really bringing forward to you is this, right? That I that I believe in the afterlife here. Verse 23, so he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid his friends, uh, any of his friends, to uh, prohibit or uh, visit him. And uh, after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, the, uh, who was uh, Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning faith in Christ. So Paul now has liberty. Uh, he could have visits and be provided for. Drusilla, the uh, Herod, King Agrippa's first daughter, she had already been married. Uh, Felix, a sinful man, as we talked about, had came and taken her away from her husband and made her his her third wife. So he's a, a fleshly, worldly, wicked man uh, internally. Now we'll wrap this up right here. Verse 25, now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. When it's convenient for me, right now, you're scaring me, Paul. So I'm asking you to go away because you're speaking against everything that's, that's wrong in my life. Meanwhile, uh, he also hoped that money would be given, uh, given him by Paul that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Porcius uh, Festus, 
succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. So Felix uh, was uh, no doubt afraid because Paul taught on three things he was uh, guilty of in his life. He didn't have righteousness, self-control, and, and that there was judgment to come. The Holy Spirit spoke directly through Paul to Felix and the things that were going on in his life. You know, um, Paul was right where God told him to be. And, uh, you know, he's hoping that Paul would bribe him. Hey, just give me some money and this can all go away. And it, and it never happened. He's a worldly, fleshly man. And there were several attempts here, it says, that he would swindle money out of Paul. He's full of greed. You know, and spirit, uh, being a spirit-filled and spirit-led man, uh, Paul didn't have the corruption in his life. So he didn't do so. And, uh, you know, he's probably trying to, uh, what we see here by keeping Paul bound, he's trying to keep peace. And his wife's also a Jew. Uh, so he folded and wanted to, you know, please the Jews. So I know I went over, uh, we went just over an hour in the teaching. I apologize for that. But uh, it's, it's kind of hard to like, hey, we're leading right up to this. And then be like, sorry, guys, we're not going to cover it. We did it in about 10 minutes, okay? So uh, would you stand with me and we'll pray? Paul was able to continue his ministry regardless of uh, the opposition that he faced. That, you know, and Christ came and stood right next to him and encouraged him and, and, and strengthened him in his ministry. Understand that when, when the Lord has worked in our lives, he's called us to something. He doesn't call us and just leave us and say, well, have a good day. You know, figure everything out. You know, that the Lord is with us. That the Holy Spirit is, is residing with us and that he walks uh, you know, through each day with us. We need the encouragement. We can trust that it's going to come from the Lord. It did. Paul was able to stand in front of all these people and, and, and boldly profess his belief in, in God and the resurrection from the dead and defend himself. Uh, knowing that Christ was there with him. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word and the encouragement that comes with it. We pray that we'll trust you and to follow you uh, regard, regardless of any um, uh, opposition or, or, or trials that we face, knowing, Lord, that you're right there with us and that you love us and that, uh, that we, as long as we're following you and our will is submitted to yours, you're going to make all things work for good. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.